Physics World. Hello, and welcome to the Physics World Weekly Podcast. I'm Hamish Johnston. 2022 is the International Year of Glass, and we're featuring interviews with glass experts throughout this year. This week, our guest is the Ukrainian glass artist and architect, Oksana Kondracheva, whose work is often inspired by Ukrainian culture. She talks with Physics World's James Dacey about Ukraine's stained glass heritage and how it is being put in peril by the Russian invasion. Oksana often creates textured glasswork using acid etching, and she contrasts this technique with more traditional methods. James caught up with Oksana after she gave a talk on the history of Ukrainian stained glass for London's worshipful company of glaziers and painters of glass. So I must admit, before your presentation uh, last week, I I didn't know too much really about um, Ukraine's cultural history or um, or stained glass really uh, in general. But it was a really really interesting event, and I since read the article you wrote uh, in the Journal of uh, Stained Glass in 2016, which goes into lots of really great detail about the the history of stained glass. And I, I think you talk about the country as a it's it's a mixture of um, different cultures and backgrounds, and is that somehow a reason why it became such an important place for stained glass? Because there was such a a blending of different ideas. Oh well, uh, Ukrainian stained glass uh, originated in the Eastern Slavic state of Kiev and Rus, and it was not only one of the largest by area European states, but also culturally advanced. Literacy in Kiev and other large cities was high. Ecclesiastical architecture and religious art um, were both firmly rooted in the Byzantine tradition. So they were flourishing, and uh, very little can be said about the way colored glass was used for window decorations. Yet archaeological evidence sheds some light. In 2007 and um, 2021, for instance, the archaeological excavations in Kyiv-Pechersk Lavra National Preserve, and there used to be a glassmaker's shop which produced colored glass for for the churches in Kyiv, and uh, colored roundels were found and uh, molded lead. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have uh, preserved medieval stained glass in Kyiv, but archaeological results would uh, shed more light and it would be great to have uh, more research into this area and try to find the connections between uh, other countries, whether the wars. Influence, for instance, from France, because Kiev and Rus had very strong connection, royal connections with uh, medieval France. In your talk and also in the paper, um, you then spoke about uh, the late 19th century and early 20th century, how the western city of Lviv became a really, really important, you know, the place for stained glass in in Ukraine. Um, what were some of the uses? 
at that time um, in society, in Ukrainian society? How, how were people using stained glass? At the turn of the 20th century, so Ukraine experienced a cultural renaissance and uh, that affected many walks of uh, life. And uh, on the other hand, uh, there was a pressing condition because uh, the territory was divided uh, between uh, two empires, uh, Russian Empire and uh, Austro-Hungarian Empire. Nevertheless, the Lviv, for instance, was uh, at the time one of the uh, leading centers, cultural centers, and uh, stained glass uh, hugely developed in uh, first in ecclesiastical architecture, and the reason for that was twofold. First, uh, the artists, Ukrainian artists, they were trained in. Um, uh, Western or Central European universities. We were trained in Prague, in Paris, uh, in Krakow, and uh, quite often they were commissioned stained glass, uh, which was produced in uh, well-known uh, stained glass um, studios, such as Mayan Company of Munich or Bayer um, Glass Malerai, so you had so at that time you had lots of connections then. So you had Ukrainian glass artisans were working with and connected with um, people all across Western Europe. Is that that? It's, yes, it sounds like yes. That was a tendency, and uh, this is how the technology of stained glass making uh, came to uh, to Lviv. Because at the beginning there were a few small studios who, who who could produce glass, but steadily the technology um, of stained glass making penetrated on the territory of uh, Ukraine. And um, so it was interesting time because uh, many stained glass, um, many artists were uh, working in various uh, art mediums. And the concept of Gesamtkunstwerk or synthesis of art was uh, um, quite popular among uh, a group of artists and artists. And uh, naturally, the, they produced the cartoons through, through um, competitions and got commissions through the competitions. But actually, production of stained glass was made in the beginning. Uh, was made uh, in Western well-established mm -hmm. studios. But uh, what we can see that uh, in the first decades of the 20th century, local studios uh, established and uh, started producing stained glass for not only for the ecclesiastical architecture, but for the residential um, buildings as well. So it became de rigueur mm -hmm. at... Uh, at the time, and especially under the concept of synthesis of art and Gesamtkunstwerk, uh, artists, it was quite often when one artist designed uh, the whole space, not just stained glass, but the uh, So they had furniture. an overall vision for the, yes. you know, whether it was a church or another um, important yes. cultural building. Okay. Yes, they had vision for the whole space. Mm -hmm. 
Fast forward then to Soviet times. You, you spoke in your talk about, it, it's well known, there was a very, um, an almost fanatical desire to control um, culture and imagery. And, and there was lots of destruction of um, so religious icons, glass icons at the time, and and also any any kind of more traditional forms of folk art which offended the sensibilities of the of the Communist Party. Um, so, w was there a, w what is the scale of destruction at that time? Were, were lots of important historical examples of stained glass destroyed during that period? At that time, the uh, the number of uh, icons on glass they destroyed and uh, especially um, in the uh, 30s and uh, in the 50s after the second world war and uh, luckily for instance in Lviv in the um, major Roman cathedral Roman Catholic cathedral um, stained glass was uh, uh, preserved, although during Soviet time, majority majority of churches were transformed into uh, local archives or uh, storages or other spaces or even museums. In the fifties, there was uh, a tendency of uh, destruction um, artworks that were created by Ukrainian artists. Because I remember in, in the talk you told there was one um, powerful story of an artist who created, I think it was a group of artists who um, created a work that was then destroyed the same day uh, by somebody in the, in, in the Communist Party. What, why was that? Was it, was it the, again, was it a religious um, image or, or something else? Now, uh, that image was not religious. Uh, that was a triptych, uh, a state commission triptych um, for the uh, Shevchenko University in Kiev in memory of uh, Ukrainian artist and poet Taras Shevchenko. It was called Shevchenko Mother. And uh, uh, that stained glass was... Uh, uh, so all art was commissioned by state and uh, that class was uh, was destroyed just in one night because it had such a powerful message um, it was some kind of uh, call for revolt and uh, I think from the communist point of view it was ideologically harmful and um, it was too Ukrainian Another thing you um, spoke about was the the scientific imagery that came a bit later into into uh, works of of glass art. Um, so you, you showed some examples from uh, actually within the Chernobyl power plant, and and I think there's I know there's also examples in Pripyat, the the city next door, which is now um, a ghost city. What were the key elements in the in the kind of science imagery um, from glass art at that time? In the country, which was uh, official, officially atheist, uh, science uh, became a vector of belief, and uh, numerous stained glass windows were produced for the scientific institutions, uh, for the universities, research institutes. And uh, there were notable examples where 
scientific themes were introduced, in, uh, for instance, in Chernobyl, uh, the artist uh, Mikola Linnik, uh, he designed a series of stained glass, which comprised of nine stained glass windows, uh, which uh, uh, reflected the history of how humankind uh, understood the energy from the Prometheus myth uh, to the split of atom. And ironically, that stained glass series was uh, uh, installed just three days before the explosion at, of wow. the reactor at the nuclear. Um, but it, it survived atomic. at the time? But it survived. It survived at that time. Uh, but we don't know whether that series has survived the recent military action. Because the, the example nearby as well in Pipia is some really beautiful glass, which has the, the the sun and moon artwork. And you you were talking about how it was a very, very sort of technical uh, process to to piece that together. I mean, can, can you talk me through that artwork yes. and you know why that was um, such a special work of art? Uh, yes, yeah, so in the uh, Ghost City Pripyat, uh, um, two stained glass windows were produced. Uh, and uh, they, were, uh, they were made in, in such elaborate technique. The, the glass was cut into tiny uh, stripes, then turned aside and uh, assembled, uh, leaded, cemented. And uh, it has such a wonderful um, message as well, not only technically, but also... Uh, emotionally, and uh, we don't know what happened with that particular two stained glass windows. And, and throughout the, the country, um, I think you said there's, there's been an effort to to, to track the uh, not not just glass, but all of the cultural um, artifacts throughout the country which have been affected by the Russian invasion. Um, do, do we know yet? I mean, do we have a sense of the scale of damage, or is it, is it just too early? Because, because it's an active war, I guess it must be very difficult to document those things. Well, well it, it is very difficult to document and to record all war crimes, because the active phase of war uh, still going on. Uh, however, the Ministry of Culture and Informational Policy of Ukraine. Uh, has uh, launched a um, platform where uh, war crimes are documented. And as of today, there are more than 250 um, uh, cases opened. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, what I've noticed, I made research on the destructions I I've noticed that, uh, for instance, the stained glass in Kharkiv in uh, um, Art Museum of Kharkiv is destroyed because there is a photograph. And mm -hmm. also another stained glass in uh, Karolenko Scientific Library is destroyed as well. Mm -hmm. There is an evidence. So we can trace slowly uh, what was damaged 
but it's very difficult to draw a whole picture. And have there been any efforts to to try to protect any of um, you know really in, invaluable works or you know efforts to? I know it's difficult with a stained glass um, within a building, but if there were other glass works which could be removed and protected, do, do you know has there been a, anything like that happening? So I'm very grateful to uh, Professor Sarah Brown uh, from University of York. Uh, who, together with uh, colleagues uh, from Germany, Corpus Vitarum International, uh, established the uh, scheme on how to protect uh, stained glass during the wartime. And uh, that scheme was, uh, and suggestions were forwarded to the Ministry of Culture. There are a few uh, options removing, fully remove stained glass and uh, covering. If there is time to remove, it's better mm-hmm. to remove, yes. in my point of view, because it's unpredictable. I mean, what, one other um, aspect of um, of that is that I think you talked about the fact that in uh, metro stations underground in, in Ukraine, there were some really uh, lovely glass works which were put there initially because it's such a public place so the public can enjoy it and and now people are sheltering underground um during the invasion and those that glass can be a source of hope um did you have any i don't know particular examples um of that and, and could you describe some of the works which are in those metro stations oh uh, yes uh... Uh, there was a tendency uh, during Soviet time uh, to put stained glass or slab glass also in underground stations, and uh, uh, all of them are preserved uh, for now. And uh, in Kiev, for instance, Petrivka station, there is a wonderful um, slab glass uh, nature and technique by Ludmila Semikina. And it has such a positive message and uh, vibrance. And also, uh, this, this, this is in, in Kiev or in Kharkiv, uh, many uh, underground stations are decorated uh, by the scientific-inspired themes, especially cosmonaut themes and space themes. And... Um, a friend of mine who is a renowned architect, uh, he uh, from Kharkiv, when the war started, I gave a call to him and he said, do you know where, where I am now? I am sheltering in underground every night. And uh, he said, I don't want to leave. I, I love my city. I'd like to uh, stay here and uh, we spent three weeks of sheltering in underground station. And that was the only possible way to survive uh, massive uh, shellings. And uh, uh, it was uh, at this time when when people uh, are forced to go into underground when they see the stained glass, slab glass with the positive image, uh, it, it, 
it gives a hope. Mm-hmm. There's incredible stories of um, music concerts and, and other things as well happening. happening oh, yes, and uh, uh, you know, um, a poet Sergei Jadan, he he's also uh, take your time, take your time. I'm sorry, I'm very emotional. Um, again, the uh, the space of underground stations became also the space of concert halls and uh, uh, not not only resident. So sorry. Okay. Um, uh, the underground stations became uh, the space for the concerts as well. And, uh, uh, for instance, uh, uh, Ukrainian uh, singer uh, Stanislav Karchuk is given concerts until even now in Kharkiv's underground station. And uh, um, all orchestras also performing to support those who shelter. So you can see how, so this situation, we, we see how art, walk, stained glass could be, uh, could be so supportive and uh, uh, give hope for a better future, better times. It's, it's, it's one thing, um, reading your paper as well in the, in the journal of stained glass i mean it made it very clear that you know what, what's happening now is it, it's part of a long history really where culture has emerged in ukraine and then there's been this turbulent history but then there's always been this this resurgence um and a flourishing of of ukrainian culture so i, I guess hopefully you know it can offer some glimmer of hope that you know looking at that rich history that as you say, you know, there is that hope and, and you know, it's dark times now, but um, you, you can look to this really beautiful, rich history for a source of hope. Oh, yes, the, the history repeats itself. Uh, as in medieval time, uh, the Kievan Rus was flourishing until Tatar-Mongol invasion. He was destroyed in 1240. You saw the, the centuries of... Uh, uh, revivals and uh, destructions, and now we are witnessing the same. But uh, as a as the legendary phoenix, it <laughs> will be reborn in its new mm-hmm. beauty. Yes, it will be a day when uh, Ukrainians will be rebuilding their cities, and uh, uh, it is a powerful art media. And, uh, yeah, it's a really really nice message. <laughs> Um, I mean, of course, you're um, an artist yourself, um, so you you create your own glass. And I, I saw from from your website, I looked at some of the examples, and it, it seems like you like to play with textures, and you bring in different uh, imagery from folklore. Um, it, 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 is is the work um, inspired by Ukrainian um, imagery and history, and, and and do you do you ever bring in? techniques, um, old traditional techniques from Ukraine? I am inspired by Ukrainian culture and uh, it's very hard to pick up one. Uh, 
mostly by ornaments, and they are in embroideries, uh, in uh, wooden carvings, uh, in ceramics, and ornaments are ornaments reflect the rhythm. And uh, many of my artworks are geometrical. One thing I saw um, one of the works that talked about how you, you've you've etched uh, onto the glass, so you've changed the texture. And so I, I'm not um, I'm not really an expert on stained glass. So could, could you maybe um, talk me through the technique from the beginning? Because I think I think that would be really interesting just to hear how yeah how how do you create this 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 whole work yes. of art? Uh, acid etching technique is one of my favorite techniques, and I see it as the painting with acid, actually, with hydrofluoric acid. Mm-hmm. And uh, when, I, when I was introduced to this technique, my first question was, as a curiosity, what is happening, how the molecules of glass is destroyed. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's... Uh, it's a very magical transformation because with the HF you destroy some destroying the layers of glass and mm. you reveal a new world and applying various uh, resists to the glass that could be uh, so the interesting textures could be achieved. Okay, so, so it's with acid, so you're not. Yeah, I think in my mind I thought you were somehow scratching the glass with. A sharp blade or something, but so you so you, you, you put some kind of resist and, and then pour acid onto it. Yes, I put uh, various resist, but uh, in the medieval time, the fleshed glass, which is used for acid etching, it was scratched. So it was the pre-acid etching technique. It was abrasion technique, and. Uh, I did research on acid etching technique as well and published an article and it was so fascinating to track the story, how the technique mm-hmm. uh, developed. There are numerous approaches to how, how, to how to produce stained glass. So after every single piece of glass uh, is, is um, um, processed, then... The stained glass is assembled with a lead cane and um, soldered. All joints should be soldered, mm-hmm. then cemented, and uh, the glass should wait for, for a while to settle in, and only then it could be it could go into the architectural setting. But nowadays, uh, it is quite important to to. Uh, I think for, for an art media to adjust to uh, architecture. And uh, uh, I did some projects without uh, lead. So where uh, just pieces of mouth-blown glass uh, were acetaged and then it went into the glazed units. So this is a new way of a new approach. Just looking a bit ahead as well in terms of your own your own work is that, is that something you would like to to do more of to, to that that confluence between art and architecture do you enjoy that that kind of blend of approaches to, to creating the glass oh i'm very much enjoying and my uh, current project i'm working on a stained glass triptych for a residential uh, house in oxfordshire which is very close to the one of the coolest 
uh, places on the earth where the first commercial quantum computer will be in the ah, okay. UK. Yes, yeah. And uh, I was so inspired by the um, quantum uh, quantum chip, the chip for quantum computer, by geometry of the case for the chip. And uh, it was so fascinated to understand that this is happening now and we are at the brink of a new era. I designed uh, stained glass based on the geometry. Quantum oh, wow. computer so is, that, is that something which um, so you're working on now or is that something which is already in place? Yes, this is, this is the project I'm working on now. And, ah, interesting, yeah. And I, I think uh, we are we are living in very interesting historical uh, time when the new physics mm-hmm. uh, has arrived. So in more and more approach in our life, I see the world more like quantum mechanically. So this this is my intuitive feeling that we are living at uh, the beginning of a new era. Yeah, it feels like there's, there's been lots of theory, but finally we're at this point now where the, the quantum theory is turning into... Yes. Real world technology, and, and yeah, we're, we're definitely at the cusp of something. And uh, I believe that uh, so the same at the same time we are at the dawn uh, of new art as well. Mm-hmm. And you're you're right there in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Oksana, well, thank you so much for joining today. It's been really interesting learning about Ukraine's rich history of of glass art and the culture in general. And good luck with your work at the moment to support humanitarian efforts in the the current situation. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting. You can learn much more about the history of stained glass in Ukraine by reading Oksana's 2016 paper, New Light on Ukrainian Stained Glass. A copy of the paper can be downloaded from the British Society of Master Glass Painters website for a £5 donation. And this will help provide first aid kits for people in the Ukrainian communities of Lviv and Kyiv. And I'll put a link in the notes for this podcast for where you can download the paper. From the delicate beauty of stained glass, let's move on to the violent interior of a fusion reactor. Nuclear fusion powers the sun, with hydrogen nuclei combining with each other to form helium and releasing huge amounts of energy. If we could harness fusion here on Earth, we could create vast amounts of electrical energy at a very low environmental cost. However, myriad challenges must be overcome before commercial fusion reactors are a reality. The UK's Spherical Tokamak for Energy Production, or STEP, will be a next-generation fusion reactor that will aim to produce electricity, something that's not possible today. It's currently in the design phase, and the facility is expected to come online in the UK in 2040. Despite operating its plasma at about 100 million degrees Celsius, STEP will rely on several cryogenic systems that will run at temperatures in the 15 to 80 Kelvin range, 
This is as cold as about minus 258 degrees Celsius. This juxtaposition of the very hot and the very cold creates huge technical challenges for those designing STEP. As Joe McAtee discovered when he met scientists, engineers, and representatives of the cryogenics industry who aim to make the reactor a reality. Joe reports on the Physics World website. Just look for his headline, Realizing the Step Fusion Dream Will Require Cryogenic Innovation at Scale and at Pace. I'm afraid that's all the time we have for this week's podcast. Thanks to Oksana Kondracheva and James Dacey for joining me this week. And a special thanks to our producer, Fred Isles. We'll be back again next week. See you soon. Physics World.